0: Hey folks, Lisa here. On behalf of WFAE and the Inside Politics Podcast, we want to make sure you're staying safe and staying informed about what's happening around you during the coronavirus outbreak. To that end, we're dedicating today's episode to how the virus is impacting the RNC and the 2020 election. And if you have more questions you'd like to ask or stories you'd like to share, we're here for you. Just go to WFAE.org. With that said, Let's start the episode. It's Thursday, March 19th, and 158 days separate us from the scheduled dates of the Republican National Convention in Charlotte. From WFAE, Charlotte's NPR News source, I'm Lisa Warf,
1: And I'm Steve Harrison.
0: And this is Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte.
1: Of course, today we're going to look at how the coronavirus may impact the RNC. Could it lead to the cancellation of the convention? And how could the virus impact the general election?
0: And we'll also look back at how crises in the past, like the 1918 flu pandemic, have impacted elections.
1: You've been sending in questions, and we're here to try and answer them.
0: A lot of you have asked about the Republican National Convention and whether that's going to happen.
1: It hasn't been canceled, but if nothing changes, it can't take place. And that's because of Governor Roy Cooper's executive order Friday to prohibit gatherings of more than 100 people.
2: No concert is worth the spread of this pandemic.
1: And even more recently, Mecklenburg Health Director Gibby Harris's prohibition, for now, of gatherings of more than 50 people.
2: We are adding
0: gyms, health clubs, and theaters to the list of restrictions in Mecklenburg County. That is the addition that is being made to our our order at this point in time around mass gatherings. I know that's difficult, but if you think about the less than 10, people don't need to be in those environments.
1: But let's look ahead and see what might happen if the United States manages to flatten the curve and the county and the state's limit on the size of gatherings is lifted.
0: What would happen if President Trump says he wants to come to Charlotte and have the RNC as usual? And at the same time, the city council has reservations about bringing 50,000 people from around the world to Charlotte.
1: Yeah, council members can't get out of hosting because of the coronavirus. There's no wiggle room. The only escape clause the city has is if the federal government doesn't give the city the expected $50 million federal security grant. Here's the city attorney, Patrick Baker. That's the gist. And unless the parties uh, had some mutual agreement, uh, neither party can unilaterally just walk out. And there's no force majeure in the contract. There is not, no.
0: And force majeure is a provision in contracts that allows one party to opt out if there's an act of God event, like a hurricane or tornado or a pandemic.
1: But that isn't in the city's contract with the RNC, and that's not uncommon. The city didn't have that provision when it hosted the DNC in 2012, so we go back to that scenario of the RNC being allowed to come, but perhaps not welcome. Yeah, that's going to be a conversation that we'd, we'd have to have at that time. If you're in that gray area of uh, you can, but should you hold the convention, um, which is you know where we were a few weeks ago, uh, but we're not there. But that's something that we'll definitely have to consider as we go. But this will be that would be a decision for the governor, and Gibby Harris, really not city council, right? It wouldn't be a city council issue at this stage now.
0: Both the Charlotte host committee for the RNC and national Republicans won't speculate on what might happen this summer. The host committee says it's coordinating with stakeholders and taking necessary precautions.
1: And a spokesperson for the president's reelection efforts, Trump Victory, says the administration has shown, quote, incredible leadership. And that they are, quote, taking unprecedented actions, but that it's business as usual.
0: And business as usual means the RNC is planning to host a media walkthrough next month at the Spectrum Center.
1: I think it's an interesting point on whether or not the RNC will come, because up until the last couple days, the president had minimized the impact of the coronavirus, at one point calling the media and Democratic response a hoax when he was here at Bojangles Coliseum before Super Tuesday, which was only two weeks ago. But seems like an eternity, he wasn't too concerned.
2: Over the last long period of time, the flu, the common flu, you know this, right? From 27,000 to 70,000 people get infected and many people die. Think of it. 27,000. You lose 27,000 people to the common flu. So I actually told the pharmaceutical companies, you have to do a little bit better job on that vaccine. Really? You have to do a better job on that vaccine.
0: And now the president is much more concerned.
2: And now it's our time. We must sacrifice together because we are all in this together and we'll come through together. It's the invisible enemy. That's always the toughest enemy, the invisible enemy. But we're going to defeat the invisible enemy. I think we're going to do it even faster than we thought.
0: And for the RNC, we just don't know what the spread of coronavirus will look like by July and August.
1: I reached out to the Republican National Committee about whether they have a provision that would allow delegates to nominate President Trump remotely or virtually, and they didn't respond.
0: We're going to shift gears after this break and look ahead to how the coronavirus could impact elections. In fact, it already has. We'll have more on that right after this quick break on the Inside Politics podcast, the RNC in Charlotte.
1: Today's podcast was made possible by listeners like you. If you're enjoying today's episode and learning something new from Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte, make sure to give this podcast a rating and review in your favorite podcast app. And if you want to support the podcast even further, become a member of WFAE with a donation of any amount, $5, $10, $15, you name it. Just hit the Donate button on WFAE.org slash InsidePolitics.
0: Okay, there were supposed to be eight primaries on Tuesday. Louisiana, Georgia, Ohio, Kentucky, Maryland, Illinois, Florida, and Arizona.
1: And only three states voted.
0: And it looks like turnout in the Democratic primary in Illinois was down. In Florida, it was up slightly from 2016, and in Arizona, up quite a bit, since many there rely on early voting and mailed-in ballots.
1: Yeah, states can move their primaries easily, but the date of the general election is set by federal law, the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November.
0: You can change that, but Congress would have to do it, and the president would have to sign it.
1: And remember that Democrats control the House, so any date to move the election would have to run through them, And the new Congress must be sworn in by January 3rd, so there isn't a lot of flexibility in moving the election.
0: But if the date of the general election is set, the way we vote might not be. I talked to the North Carolina Board of Elections Director, Karen Brinson-Bell, about how the board is reacting to the coronavirus. We talked about possible changes for the general election, but in the short term, how a May 12th runoff election for the 11th congressional district might play out.
1: That's the Republican runoff for Mark Meadows' seat. He's now the president's chief of staff.
0: So that will be something of a test election. And Brinson Bell says her office may be asking the General Assembly for more flexibility for upcoming elections, including the November general.
3: Obviously, we have to consider what does in-person voting look like and how would we conduct that? One of the considerations there are the polling officials and Our laws state that they have to be a certain number of the parties, they have to be of precinct, and while there's good reason for that in our law, that could be a challenge as we consider how to recruit those poll workers at this point in time, since in many ways the average age of our poll workers is about 72, and that puts them into a high-risk
0: category. So that's an issue where the state may need flexibility in terms of poll workers, And she's brainstorming ideas like having disposable pens for people to sign in with and other things like having hand sanitizers at every polling place. And Brinson Bell is also talking about being able to handle much more voting by mail or, in a worst-case scenario, having an all male voting election.
3: I don't know that it's an immediate consideration. I think we have to get a sense of, is this a short-term epidemic or is it something that follows more of the flu schedule? so we're listening to our healthcare officials to the executive orders and state of emergency language that's shared with us we're working with our partners
0: mailing ballots to every registered voter would require a change in law
3: i think that we just have to consider what does our law allow would we need to take legislative changes and that shift in many of those states what they do is mail to every registered voter a ballot without request so that's a change in our law
1: here's what current law says north carolina allows absentee voting by mail with no excuse needed but you have to request a mail ballot
0: other states like washington state send mail ballots to all registered voters
1: and of course the ninth congressional district election scandal two years ago was all about mail ballots Political operatives in Bladen County were encouraging people to request mail ballots and then collecting their ballot request forms. That was legal then.
0: And then they were coming back and collecting the completed ballots, which was and still is illegal.
1: And so after the scandal, the General Assembly, in a bipartisan vote, changed the law to say that third parties can't collect or harvest ballot request forms. So I think it's interesting in that we could have an election in which a lot of people want to vote by mail, but the recent state law which was again supported by Democrats and Republicans, will make it harder to do that. And
0: that's already the subject of a lawsuit. Mark Elias, who represented Dan McCready in the 2019 State Board of Elections hearing, argues that the law against collecting ballot request forms discriminates against low-income and minority voters.
1: And that lawsuit was filed before anyone thought about the coronavirus' impact on the election.
0: I asked Brinson Bell what it would cost if the legislature let North Carolina have all-male voting.
3: I don't know those figures off the top of my head. I think we would have to consider many factors with the secure drop boxes. That changes the volume of printing that would have to happen, so we would have to coordinate that with those companies that do the printing for the counties and what that cost would look like. And we've touched on, you know, having some consideration with our legislative leaders about, you know, is prepaid postage something that they would want to consider. So. Not saying that's the route we need to go, but those are the kind of numbers that we'll be pulling together.
1: So there's a lot of uncertainty right now when it comes to the elections, campaigns and the convention. But here's some historical perspective.
2: I wouldn't say that there's any one really good analogy to what we're experiencing now. Because history, of course, doesn't repeat itself, but it does sometimes have echoes or or rhymes.
0: That's Matt Dalek, a political historian from George Washington University who studies the intersection of social crises and political transformation.
1: The most obvious parallel is 1918. That's the year when the Spanish flu took hold. And by the time it was over, it killed an estimated 675,000 people in the U.S.
0: And its peak fell in October in the thick of a midterm election.
2: The Spanish flu did curtail a lot of political activities that year. Politicians stopped holding some rallies. There were no longer a torchlight parades. Voters sometimes were told to wear masks when they came out to vote.
0: And people did show up at the polls. By that time, the flu was on its way out. And less than a week after Election Day, World War I ended with the signing of the armistice. Turnout at the polls was about 40 percent in 2018, down from 50 percent from the previous midterm. But Dalek says whether that was the flu is hard to tell, since turnout continued to drop for the following two midterms.
1: And if you want to look at a total convention breakdown, look at the Democratic National Convention, or rather conventions, in 1860. With slavery dividing the Democrats, the first convention in Charleston failed to come up with a nominee. There was a second convention two months later in Baltimore. The southern states ended up leaving the convention and nominating their own candidate.
0: And four years later, while the war was still on, Abraham Lincoln made the decision to furlough Union soldiers so they could go back home and vote in the general election.
1: And in recent memory, there was 9-11. That actually fell on primary day in New York, which included a mayoral
2: primary in New York City.
0: All the votes that were cast that morning didn't count.
2: And so it really had a disruptive effect But I think it's also a good example because we see the ways in which election officials and elections, they're certainly imperfect. They can be deeply flawed, but they also can be resilient, right, where people can ultimately have some confidence in, in what occurred. And the elections were held a couple weeks later and the results were not they weren't questioned.
1: And we'll end on that note.
0: That was Steve Harrison helping us navigate this uncertain road, the RNC, as political reporter for WFAE. Thanks, Steve.
1: Happy to help, Lisa.
0: That concludes today's episode of Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte. For continued coverage of the coronavirus outbreak and its impact on Charlotte, go to WFAE.org. And you can listen to this podcast every other Thursday and subscribe to Inside Politics, the RNC in Charlotte on Apple Podcasts, NPR One and WFAE.org slash Inside Politics. If you like the episode, make sure to give it a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Please take care and stay safe. Until next time, I'm Lisa Worf. Catch you real soon on the Inside Politics podcast, the RNC in Charlotte.